And while they're doing that, and before they all come all down, I'm just going to ask those of you who are here this morning to, if you have a Bible with you, open it to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we will spend most of our time in there at some point. I promise you we will get there uh, as our second uh, message in this series called Gifts of God that we started last Sunday. Gifts of God for the whole church. Um, and we will look at 1 Corinthians 14. Really want to encourage you to have it there. Uh, I, I won't read the whole passage. The whole chapter is about prophecy and prophets for today. So that'll be interesting. So as a preface, as I mentioned last week, we're doing this six-week series called Gifts of God for the Whole Church. Many of you have probably been to messages or even uh, seminars and courses about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Most of us have taken those, been part of that. And as I said last week, those are great. That's awesome. But oftentimes what happens is, is we, we, we miss <laughs> these gifts that we're looking at first in our series. And these are the gifts that Jesus Christ himself, Ephesians 4 tells us, Paul tells us, has been giving to the church since the church was born on the day of Pentecost a little over 2,000 years ago. He's been giving the gifts of apostles, of prophets, of evangelists, of pastors, shepherds, and teachers to the church. And so we want to look at those as well because those are gifts of God. And then we will, of course, get to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our last two weeks together. So I mentioned last week that one of the reasons why we're doing this series was because, look, over the past 10 years, we've been calling most of you who are part of the Rock Church to basically three things, to faithfully attend Sunday gatherings together, to faithfully be part of a missional community group together, uh, to faithfully give financially to support the ministry of this church and to the ministries that we support outside of this church, and to serve in the church. And the thing is, is the truth is, is that it's been happening. It really has. Our church is a servant heart-oriented church. Uh, those of you who've been new to the church in the last year or so, you've probably seen that for yourselves. People are here providing uh, snacks and coffee every Sunday morning, and people serve by opening up their homes for missional community groups, and, and people give. Uh, our, our church is just a very sacrificial and giving church. The reality is, is that over a period of time, five, six, seven, we're 10 years in now as a church, a thing can happen to any church. And we sensed as elders, I certainly sensed as your pastor, um, that uh, we were getting to a point in the life of this church where it was like some of us have been here seven, eight, nine, ten years and serving and serving and serving. And it can become tiring. It can become fatiguing. It can turn to something called obligation rather than the passion of the fire that we originally had. Amen. It can, it can happen. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this was to hopefully rekindle in all of our hearts the passion and the fire that only, quite frankly, the Holy Spirit can bring into our lives. So that's one of the reasons why we're doing this, this particular. The other is, is that we need to know, I believe, we need to know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what the gifts of God are for ourselves personally. Not only to, to be part of the church, gatherings, etc., but for our Christian walk, our Christian life, we need the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope you can add an amen to that. But also in studying this, this series, and I noticed in our admissional community group that Janice and I attend in the Highlands last week, there, there was some indication that we're also beginning, even after the first message, to be able to go, well, hey, you know, I, I think I, I can identify in some of my other brothers and sisters in the church those that might have certain gifts. And that's the other reason why I want to do this series is to educate all of us of what those gifts look like so that, yes, we can know what our gift is, but also we can affirm and encourage those gifts in others because those gifts in others are for our benefit and our blessing too. So that's another reason. But as I was praying this week, another reason came to my mind. And that reason is this, and you know me if you've been around for any period of time, that I... I, I I have a, somewhat of a passion for God's Word. <laughs> it's kind of important, I think, if you're a preacher, but really, that's, it's, a, it's a huge passion. And my, my desire is, and through this series, is, is that we would all have that passion for His Word, for the Bible, that you would open it, not just here on Sunday mornings, yes, here on Sunday mornings, but also in your home, in your devotions, reading it throughout the week and learning from God Himself knowing the word for ourselves, growing up in it, and becoming, yes, mature, so that, A, we can, as Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, that we read last week, 
teaches us become truly mature. Perfected is actually the word that is used in conclusion in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. But B, also that we would be able to individually, and hear me, collectively be able to discern from the Word of God truth from error. Truth from false teaching. Together, but also individually. So now I'm sure that some of the things that we've already discussed, like apostleship and the gift of an apostolic gifting for this world today, and trust me, some of the things that we're going to look at over the next five to six weeks, including today, some of these things are going to be unsettling for some of us. Amen? Anybody a little bit unsettled after last Sunday? Right? Apostles today? Really? What's he talking about? It's unsettling. And, and part of the reason for that is because many of us arrive here for a series like this with more or less settled positions. Amen? I know what I believe about that. Really? Well, my question is, and I think the other reason why I think we do need to look at this today is because I'll tell you what, from my own experience, here's the, here's the thing. In the past, my, my go-to would be this. If there was ever a question about whether this was for today or not for today, or this was true teaching or that was true teaching, here's what I would do. I would go to a book or a commentary by my favorite author or theologian that I trust. Anybody else do that? Or am I the only weird person that would do something like that? <laughs> always commentary to my right here on Sunday mornings, but I love it. No, no, seriously, that's what we do, right? We, 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 we hear, but what's the reason for that? Well, there's two reasons for that. The, the first is, yes, there are people to go to that, uh, to affirm and, and, to, and to double check what you're thinking. Yes, I do that to this day. But the main reason why we do that is that's what we've been taught. And I think the main reason why we do that is that we're really not doing that for ourselves, in the Word, listening to the Holy Spirit. And we're not doing that collectively, together as a body. You see, here's the thing. From our text today, I hope you're going to see this. The Apostle Paul would never give you that counsel. He would never say do that. He would never say, Glenn, if you're unsure about this, go, go see what John MacArthur wrote or said, or John Piper or Tim Keller. Or, he, he would never say that. He would never say this like in the days of the apostles. He would never say, listen, uh, in the churches that I've planted, listen, here's what you need to do. If you ever have any questions, if the local elders and pastors are, are kind of teaching something or, or not answering your questions correctly that might seem a little wonky, here's what I want you to do. Write me a letter, right? Or, or write a letter to James and, and, and the guys back in Jerusalem, you know, at the mothership, you know, and, and, and they will send you their theological opinion on that. Do you ever read him saying that? He doesn't say that. Trust me again, please hear me. Not that that's not wise from time to time. It is. But instead, what Paul would do is this. He would point you to two things. First, to the Word of God. And then secondly, to your elders and to the body. That's what he's going to show us today, to each other. So again, last week we learned this. In the body of Christ today, there are people who land on, on, on two sides of the equation when it comes to the gifts for today. There are the people who are, would be called cessationists who believe that specifically the gifts of apostle and prophet have ceased. They're, they're not being given by Jesus today. The only gifts that we get for the church today are evangelists, pastor, shepherds, and teachers. And certainly, their opinion would be that miracles, healings, and tongues, for sure, have ceased, Right? Then there are people today, learned theologians and pastors, who would say, no, 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 no. <laughs> the gifts continue. They may not be exactly the same as they were in that day, but the gifts, in fact, continue. And so our goal in this series is this. It's to weigh these issues for ourselves. Unsettling? Maybe. But that's the goal, and that's the goal the Apostle Paul, I believe, is suggesting that we, we take on. So we want to wait, weigh these issues for ourselves so that, as both sides agree, by the way, if you do some research on this, both sides would agree this with this. They both believe, whether they're cessationists or continuationists, that at the end of the day, they are wanting to hold to the capital A apostolic authority of the Scripture. Both sides 
That is the goal. That is certainly the goal of this church and the leadership of this church. So that is actually the concern, as I say it, and goal of both, as I hope you will see from this text today and this teaching today. Finally, as we dig into our subject today, let me remind you of the three overarching truths that I gave to you last Sunday related to spiritual gifts and the gifts of God. First of all, number one, the gifts of God are for the whole church. The gifts of God are not for your pastor and elders and for the really, really righteous and holy people. There are none of those people, by the way. They're for all of us, every single one of us. Secondly, every Christian has, by the grace and will of God, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because God chooses to give us these gifts, a palette of gifts. So you might have a primary gift, but most likely you will have a secondary and a tertiary and a few other gifts on a palette that are given to you, to us as a church, at any given time as need arises. Thirdly, the gifts of God are not necessarily natural abilities and talents. They are supernatural. Now, a caveat that I'll add to that, which actually came up in our small group this week, which is good, is that is it, is it not possible that sometimes God will take a natural ability that we've learned in our, our, our business life or whatever life that we're living today and, and supercharge that and empower that for the work of ministry? Yes, of course. But there's a difference. There's a clear difference. So once again, I'll put it on screen for you today. Here's our outline for the series. We'll be looking at, as we looked at last week, apostles and apostolic. This week, prophets and the prophetic. Next week, it'll be evangelists and evangelism, and Rudy will be bringing that message, followed by pastors, shepherds, and teachers, and then two weeks specifically on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, prophets and the prophetic. Feeling settled? Are you ready? I want to pray one more time. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you again, Lord, for uh, gathering us here today. Thank you, for Holy Spirit, for uh, appointing this time and this day for us to be looking at this subject. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to your word. We look to you, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to instruct us. But, Lord, I also pray that you would, you would teach us to look to one another appropriately and encourage one another to be in the word and reason together from the scriptures whether these things are true. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So our key verse that we looked at last week, or two verses, of course, come from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I'll put them back on screen for you. We're speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the church of the body of Christ. So yeah, last week we looked at this gift of apostles and apostolic uh, that Jesus gives to the church. And of course we noted that there were, we all know this, there were 12 apostles, right? You know this. I mean, there was 13 technically, Judas, and he disqualified himself, and then they brought on Matthias as the 12th apostle at that time. But we also noted last week a couple of very important points. Well, most importantly, there are more apostles than that in the New Testament. Hebrews 3.1 tells us that Jesus is the definite article apostle. He's a sent one of God, which is what the word apostolos literally means. Sent one. That's all it literally means is these are sent ones. And, of course, Jesus is that sent one who was sent into this world. And then secondly, we also noted last week that, yes, listen, there are something or what I refer to as capital A apostles. These are the twelve. They are unique. Jesus is not giving those gifts to the church today. Why are they unique? Well, Peter, while they were choosing Matthias, made the point very clear. He said, listen, guys, to fulfill what the prophets have said, here's what we need to do. We need to choose someone from amongst ourselves who was with us from this time period to that time period. From the baptism of John the Baptist of Jesus throughout all of his life and then through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, it has to be someone who comes from that period who will be the next capital A apostle. Why? 
Well, because Jesus has just said to them in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, first of all, to Samaria, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses of what? All of those things. And so those were the capital A apostles, and that was, that was awesome. But we also saw there are some small A apostles. The apostle Paul is one of those guys. Despite the fact, as I mentioned last week, there are people who want to make him a capital A, right? Because he was chosen directly by Jesus on the road, but not according to the qualifications that Peter gave in the power of the Holy Spirit. We also note that he was also, if you think about it, and we saw this when it came to the apostolic gifting for today, that Paul, besides being an author, yes, of the New Testament uh, scripture, along with the other authors of the New Testament, he was an incredible model uh, to us of apostolic gifting today. How? Well, he was a church planter. He was the greatest church planter probably of all time. And he modeled, he showed us what church planting gifting would look like from an apostolic level. He would go into churches and places and he would proclaim the gospel. Yes, he would teach. And then he would call people together and they would establish a gathering, usually in someone's home. And then he would say, okay, listen, here's what you need. You need some foundation. You need some structure. You need some leadership. I'll appoint elders. And then he would leave and he would come back and do that work over and over again with many of these churches as as possible as he could. But we also notice this. is not just Paul. There's Barnabas. We, we noted eight or nine other small-a apostles that are mentioned in the New Testament as apostles, one of whom, shockingly, is a woman by the name of Junia. Junia. Previously in Acts chapter 4, when it talks about Jesus giving these gifts to the church, it talks about giving these gifts to men and women. The word that's used in the Greek in Ephesians 4 there is anthropi, where we get the word anthropology, which is about humans, not just men. It's about men and women. So these gifts are being given to men and women in the church or gifted persons to the church. Now be careful, please. For those of you who are going right now, okay, now I'm getting really unsettled, okay, because I thought I understood this church. I mean, last week you introduced a man as an elder at the Rock Church. Yes, that's what we believe. Scripture teaches for leadership in the local church. Ephesians 4 is not about that. It's about gifts to the church. These are not offices. These are gifts that are being given to the church. So the question for us last week was this. Did the gift of apostle that Jesus gives to the church end or cease when the last apostle died? So remember those who believe these gifts have ceased. They basically rely on this one verse, which I'll put back on screen for you. But that's the question we had to look at last week. Is it when the last apostle dies? Because then, I mean, if that is the case, then we've got to go, okay, when was that? <laughs> was it John? Like, was he the last? Well, oh, wait a second. Was it just the capital A guys? Or was it also the small A guys and gals? Like, you see the problem? That can be a bit of a problem. Trying to figure out when this gift actually ceased. But the one verse that many uh, lean on in order to make this case, which is important for our context today as well, because we're going to see the word that we're talking about today in this verse, is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 10, where Paul writes this, love never ends. This is his love chapter, right? Quoted at many weddings, but not necessarily this part. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so those who believe that these gifts have ceased, they believe the perfect means when the perfected and approved canon of the Scripture is complete. That's what they believe the perfect is. So the question then becomes, or at least raises another question, when in fact was that? Was that when John wrote and then distributed the book of Revelation? Was it then? That, I mean, let's remember that not everybody had a copy of the Bible at that time. Right? Few people had a copy of these manuscripts. Or when the last apostle died, as I said, or in AD 300 when the canon of Scripture was actually approved and decided upon. Do you see the problem? just blanketly saying these gifts have ceased, it's a problem. 
A solution is this, which the continuationists believe. The perfect doesn't mean the Bible, the closed canon of the Scripture. It means when Jesus comes again. It means when Jesus comes again. So with apostles, then, we arrived at this position. The word simply means sent one. And those sent ones who were gifted by Jesus are sent to be the foundational establishment of all new churches. Church planters is an example of which the apostle Paul was and is still the greatest example for us today. So when we read this verse, Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, we understand that to mean that every church that is planted since the days of the early church has been gifted by Jesus with those who have an apostolic gifting. They have an apostolic gifting to lay the foundation, the structure, the biblical teaching that's required that hopefully leads to a healthy, healthy and vibrant gospel-breathing church. So now today we see that along with the apostolic gift, there are also prophets, which is our subject for today. So if you have your Bibles, as I said, open them to Corinthians 14, and let's learn about the gift of prophets and prophecy for today. I just read a passage for you from Corinthians 13 where it talked about these gifts ceasing, right? When the perfect comes. But chapter 14, verse 1 opens with these words, which is kind of in contrast what Paul has already been saying. Then he goes on to say this, pursue love, yes, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially top of the list that you may prophesy. Is this a contradiction? No. Don't think so. Chapter 14 is the third and final chapter, uh, 12, 13, and 14, in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church on the subject of spiritual gifts. He's written to this large and growing church, you know the history, many of you will, uh, primarily for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons why is because it's in Corinth, it's a very big metropolitan city, uh, people coming from all different kind of backgrounds, uh, pagan backgrounds, uh, spiritual backgrounds, you name it, and this church is exploding and it's growing and good things are going on and not so good things are going on. And so part of Paul's reason for writing is because there are some concerns especially around the area of spiritual gifts. It appears from his letters that in their exuberance and their excitement, uh, they had been taking liberties with some of the gifts and, quite frankly, potentially abusing some of the spiritual gifts. And so many people look at Corinthian letters as letters of correction. They, They are, but they're also letters of instruction and encouragement. Earnestly desire. I'm not just correcting you. I want you to earnestly desire these spiritual gifts. So, prophecy. Like we did with apostles last week, let's look at some history and a definition. The word prophet in the Greek New Testament, literally, or the Hebrew in the Old Testament, literally means something like this. One who shines forth. Now, now it's not talking about the prophet is the one shining. No, what the prophet is doing is he is shining forth what he's been given but shining it like really boldly where we get the idea of prophetic being really bold, in your face, preaching kind of thing, shining forth. It's also where we get, uh, quite frankly, the definition would be uh, along the lines of, where are my notes? (laughs) I just went past it, didn't I? Uh, There it is, okay. Sorry, uh, biblical terms, the definition would be this. So you get this in many different commentaries. One who proclaims inspired utterances on behalf of God. So from a biblical perspective, that would be a common understanding that this one who is shining forth is literally proclaiming inspired utterances on behalf of God. And so we know that prophets in the Old Testament were literally mouthpieces for God. That was literally their job. When they spoke... They communicated what they were told to say by God himself. Like, not not some idea, not some, hey, by the way, here's some ethereal thought you might want to think about giving to people. No, no, no. These are the words that God has told me to give to you. So they never spoke on their own authority with their own opinions or good advice. They faithfully delivered the message that God gave to them. 
God made that clear in the Old Testament so that we, we can know that what I just said is true. He made that clear with his prophet Moses in Exodus 4.12. He says to Moses, now go. I will help you speak. Remember Moses? Like, I don't know what, I don't, I don't think I'm the guy for this job, right? And I will help you speak, he says to him, and will teach you what to say. This is in Exodus uh, chapter 4.12. God also later in Deuteronomy 18.18 18, assures Moses, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything that I command for them. Well, the same was true for literally all the prophets in the Old Testament, whether it's Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Zephaniah, Micah, Jonah, Amos, and so on. So this ministry in the Old Testament was not also exclusive to men either in the, New Test- in the Old Testament. Moses' sister Miriam is called a prophet in Exodus 15.20, as are Deborah and Huldah in 2 Kings. And so sometimes we read that God spoke to the prophets audibly while they were going about their daily prayers or work, other times in dreams and visions. Read the book of Daniel. We went through that book at one point in time. There are dreams and there are visions where they are hearing God or God is commanding them to prophesy with these words, sometimes audibly, but also in dreams and visions. Prophets were, as Daniel was, oftentimes advisors to kings and rulers, And then a change began to happen. Approximately 800 years before Christ, the prophet's ministry moved from basically primarily talking about proclaiming God's word, but talking about future events that would happen. You know that in the Old Testament that if a prophet was wrong about a prophecy that was going to happen, do you know what the penalty for that was? Yeah, stone them to death, right? So it was not a job that people wanted to take on too quickly, right? The interesting thing about that is you think about it, a lot of the prophets, like Daniel and others, the prophecies that they made didn't come true in their lifetime. They came true later. So it's interesting when you look at that and think about that as well. But something changed. It went from primarily predicting the future to being those people, those prophets, who were basically about warning and exhorting the people of Israel to come on. Hear the word of God. Listen to the Word of God. Be faithful. Would you? Their voice changed. Their prophetic voice challenged the people to personal holiness, to keeping their covenant relationship with God by denouncing injustice and idolatry, unfaithfulness, really, and calling people's, uh, God's people to repent and to return to Him and be faithful. And we see that in most of the prophets in the last 800 years before Christ. They were also voices who reminded God's people to, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, but also, who else? Your neighbor, the poor. And so prophets became ones who really promoted the whole idea of not only holiness towards God and covenant obligations, but also to denounce injustice, idolatry, and to call God's covenant people to full repentance and faithfulness. In the period leading up to the exile and Judah's deportation to Babylon in the 6th century, the prophets also almost often delivered messages denouncing rampant social injustice and oppression of the poor at the hands of the people of Israel. At the hands. Too often, sadly, as you read their prophet prophecies, they fell on deaf ears. People didn't listen to the prophets very well. We arrive at the New Testament, and it begins, and the gift of prophecy continues. Many uh, theologians and commentators agree and, and believe it's true that John the Baptist emerges as literally the last Old Testament prophet until Jesus comes along. Jesus fulfills almost all of the, well, not he fulfills all of the prophecies that were about him in the Old Testament, but that's one of the things that's significant about Jesus But Jesus, as we saw last week, is not only the apostle, apostle definite article, he is the prophet. Amen? Read Matthew 24. Read the book of Revelation. If you want to know what's going to happen, he's the great prophet. He is often referred to in the Gospels by people as a prophet, and he certainly was. He certainly was. On the day of the birth of the church, this is interesting, Remember Peter, the guy who denied him three times? 
Holy Spirit falls on them all. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel. It is absolutely fantastic and remarkable. It's the day of the birth of the church. He preaches this amazing gospel message, and in the midst of it, he quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel with these words. He says, and in the last days, as he's preaching to these people, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is the prophet Joel's prophecy, and Peter is saying, here it is. Look what it says. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I can't wait until I get to start dreaming dreams. Okay, it's begun. Okay. Listen, these last days are in the future tense. They're present and yet future tense. Still to come, and so let's note that this prophecy is fulfilled on the day that the Holy Spirit is poured out, yes, But that's also the day prophecies, visions, and dreams begin. For what? For the church and the church age. So you'll remember last week that the key verse that follows Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, right, which I had on screen earlier, it begins with a really important word. And he himself, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, shepherds, and teachers to the church to equip the body for the work of ministry, etc. What's the first word of verse 13? Until they cease? (laughs) No. Until we all grow up, become mature in the faith. And that word until is really important there, which is why, again, people who are continuationists believe it means until Christ comes again. Then things will be perfected, including, hallelujah, you and me. Amen? Amen. Yes, so after the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, it's interesting, the ministry of the prophets continued. Those of you who know your Bibles will know that in Acts chapter 11, there was a group of prophets traveling from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there was that famous prophet, remember his name? Okay, Agabus, okay? He's the famous prophet, okay. It literally says this, he stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Guess what? It did. And he's a New Testament prophet. Prophets were active in the church in Antioch. In Acts 13, 1 to 3, it tells us that Barnabas was also a prophet. So last week, listen, this is important. Last week, we, we found out that Barnabas is a small apostle who traveled with the apostle Paul with an apostolic gifting to plant churches and to raise up elders and, and, and put functions and, and foundations into these new churches that were birthed. And we also find out today that he has a prophetic gifting. One of the things you're going to find in churches, especially in church planting, is that the, the, the person who might have an apostolic gifting to be the lead planter of, of that will also have, will have to have, through assessment and affirmation, uh, when, when you're being assessed by church planting groups like I was before, will have to have one of two other gifts, either a prophetic gifting or an evangelistic gifting, in, in order to be effective in planting a church. Gifts for pastors and elders of traditional churches that already exist? Different. Maybe evangelistic and pastor shepherd, of course, right? Would be the gifts that would be necessary. So Barnabas is also a prophet. And remember last week we learned that he was, as I said, a small apostle. In Acts 21, we read that the church in Caesarea, now hear this, the church in Caesarea, that the four daughters of Philip did what? Served dinner? Prophesied. Four daughters. Young women prophesy. What was that all about? So we have a specific instance in the New Testament where women had the gift of prophecy. So now we must ask the same question that we asked last week related to the apostolic gift. What does the gift of prophecy look like today then? Is it the same or has it also changed in some way? We do know this, that Jesus is not giving any capital A apostles today. We know that from the Scripture. So how about capital P prophets for today? What's that look like? Well, actually, the answer is found in our text today. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14. It's actually there. It's awesome. 
where the Apostle Paul makes it clear, listen, he is not talking about the exact same gift. He makes it clear in this text that we saw in the Old Testament or the early New Testament prophets. Jesus is the last prophet of this type, I want to suggest to you. The Apostle John may have written the book of Revelation, but whose prophecy is it? It's Jesus's. It's one of the reasons why you might find when you read in Revelation 22 that people are not to add to this book or else things will go badly for them. It's because it's the last prophecy given. It's the last prophecy given, and it's given to us by Jesus. So one thing that we can and must say then is this. Prophecy that is on par with the authority of Scripture as divine revelation or new truth of future events has, I believe, we believe, ceased. Jesus is not giving that gift to the church today. So what is it? What is that gift then? If if there is a, a prophet, prophetic gift for the church today, which I believe there is, what is it? What is Paul talking about when it's related to the gift of prophecy for us today? Well, first of all, look at this verse. As we've already read, he's emphatic about the fact that we should pursue this gift, right? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. This is not a suggestion. In the Greek, the tense is, this is a command. This is a command of the Apostle Paul. It's interesting. Then in verse 3, he tells us the purpose. Here's the purpose for prophecy in the New Testament church going forward. The purpose is this. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, look at this, and encouragement and consolation. Now, let me ask you, have, have you not heard this somewhere else before? Is this not exactly the same thing as Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, as to why these gifts are being given to the church, apostles, prophets, to equip, to mature, to encourage, to build up the body of Christ? They are. They're the exact same words as we see there, and to mature us for the work of ministry. But also, later in chapter 4, it's really important that we see this. In verses 24 and 25, which I'll put on screen in a second, he says that this type of prophecy in the church will lead to the conviction of sin. It's important. That's the work of who in the Trinity? It's the Holy Spirit. So these are gifts that are given to Jesus, to the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's that linkage that's very important for us to see. So now I'm sure you would agree that the need for conviction of sin in the church today has not ceased. Has it? (laughs) Both for the unbelieving and for the believer. Conviction of sin is required. It's, it's, it's It's critical. So after pointing out some of his concerns about tongues, which we will get to in a few weeks, Paul then says this in verses 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters... He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of their hearts are disclosed. And so, falling on their face, his face, her face, they will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay, so hang on a second here. (laughs) If that gift is not at work in the local church today, how does that happen? I'm curious if you have any answers after church or in community group this week, because I'd love to hear them. That's what Paul says this gift is for. Many of you will have heard of a man who's been given the title the Prince of Preachers, right? And his name was Charles Spurgeon. He lived in the 1800s. He was one of the princes of preachers. There surely is. You read his writings. You read his sermons. It's just phenomenal. Martin Lloyd-Jones. There's a few others. Um, there's a, in his autobiography, there's a story recorded where at one point during a sermon, uh, he, he broke off uh, in the sermon, and he literally, he's quoted as saying this. He suddenly broke off, and he pointed to a young man. I won't point anyone here. He pointed to a young man in second or third row, and he said this. Young man, those gloves you are wearing have not been paid for. <laughs> you have stolen them from your employer. 
At the close of the service, a young man, looking very pale and greatly agitated, came to the room which was used as a vestry and begged for a private interview with Mr. Spurgeon. On being admitted, he placed a pair of gloves on the table and tearfully said, it's the first time that I've robbed my boss, (laughs) and I will never do it again. You won't expose me, sir, will you? It would kill my mother if she heard that I'd become a thief. Question, how does that happen? Friends, this happens a lot. It happens often in the church. You read the autobiographies, you read the stories of some of the greatest missionaries, some of the greatest preachers of all time, of just, not the greatest, just normal pastors and preachers and and members of churches, and they will tell you that Holy Spirit gave them something, and they, they put it out there, and it was true. It's happened to me, believe it or not. I, I was thinking about an illustration that I could give to you, and, I, and because of all of the snow flying this week, one came to my mind that it was literally, we were going through the book of Nehemiah, and we were going through the passage where it talks about Nehemiah, the, the, some of the Jewish uh, leaders of that uh, city, and, and secular leaders, uh, pagan leaders, were trying to distract him from the work of ministry. They were saying, no, like, you don't need to, take a break. This wall doesn't need to get rebuilt that fast. Take your time. You know, take a Sabbath rest. And so I came to preach on that on that Sunday. And here's the thing. When you're thinking about illustrations and applications as a pastor, you know, we're a small church, relatively speaking. And so you've got to be careful, right? Because I, I know many of you, right? And I go, well, can I use that illustration or that application? Oh, so-and-so might think that I'm speaking about them personally, right? And, and so I had an application in my notes that I was going to go, go with. I had it. It was one that was going to be good, but kind of innocuous, and nobody would take it personal, I would hope. But then I saw the snow flying out there, like I saw this week, and poof, the Holy Spirit just said to me, here's one for you. And I went with it. And I simply said, I said, so here's what could happen. I mean, you know, um, and if this is a problem for you, please hear me. I mean, once in a while, taking a Sunday off to go skiing, good deal. It's all right. It's allowed. But if this is becoming a distraction for you, so here's what that might look like. You know, Saturday night, last night, someone, you know, texts you and goes, hey, pow day, Let's go to Whistler. And despite the fact that you're on the worship team or supposed to be serving in Sunday school or just at least showing up for your brothers and sisters in the church, you decide, pow day. And well, you know what? I, I gave that illustration. A number of people in the church kind of giggled and they got it. You know, like it was like, oh, yeah, that could be me. That could be anybody. One person didn't take it that way. One person was absolutely certain that I was calling them out personally and, and it upset them because they assumed that other people knew that on the previous Sunday, that's what they'd done. I didn't know that. Scout's honor. I didn't know that. That's the Holy Spirit of God working in us. For what purpose? Conviction. Conviction. We should probably, we should probably pay attention. So... Here's a key reason why Paul doesn't see the gift of prophecy exactly the way the Old Testament does. This is the key reason right here that I said we would get to in our text. It's verse 29 of chapter 14. He says this, let two or three prophets speak. In your church gathering, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. Now that's different, isn't it? That's a little different than the Old Testament prophets, isn't it? I, 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 I'm guaranteeing you it, it is very different. In the Old Testament, prophets never, never had their prophecies weighed by those in the church or in the synagogue. Never. That was really, that would be an affront to God to do that, right? Yes, yeah, sure, people grumbled, disputed, and outright disobeyed the prophets, but weighing and discerning did not happen. This is the gift of prophecy for today, I would suggest. Paul's point is, if we encourage those with this gift to exercise this gift, give room and space, then it will require our leaders, our leaders, and ourselves as the body to search the scriptures together, to reason together from the scriptures. Then this too will lead to our equipping, our building up and to our maturity. So what then might this look like? 
What kind of examples can I give to you this week for that? Well, I have a few examples for you. Um, actually, one of my own, but I have a few that are taken actually from Terry Virgo's book. It's called A Spirit-Filled Church. Terry is a, a pastor theologian in the UK. I believe he's in his late 70s. Uh, the man is like the energy that he has just blows me away. Uh, he established a ministry called New Frontiers out of his church in England, uh, their church in England, uh, which today has spawned 1,500 church plants worldwide. 1,500 church plants worldwide. He is a reformed preacher pastor, meaning he's conservative in his theology. But he would describe himself as a small c charismatic because he believes the gifts of God for the church and the Holy Spirit are for today as well. He was here in BC last year and a few of us heard him speak in Vancouver and it was awesome. Wonderful preacher, wonderful speaker, godly man. A few of his examples of prophets today would be this. Number one, prophets today bring direction and exhortation to the church from God's word. All of these things are from God's word. Secondly, a prophet brings comfort and consolation and inner fortification. These are his words. Thirdly, a prophet brings solutions to issues and problems in the church. Should we do a second service? We need a prophet. A prophet motivates action, calls people to the mission repeatedly. And then I'll add one of my own. A prophet will hold 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17 as his or her life verses. You know what those verses are, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man, anthropi, man and woman, of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I took this quote from his book uh, that I want to put on screen for you. He said this, True prophecy never condemns or crushes us. It is instead something which edifies, exhorts, and comforts us. It is always biblical. It glorifies Jesus and has an upward theme. It builds up, stirs up, or cheers us up. Good, eh? When he was here in Vancouver speaking to us, uh, there was a private dinner in the evening that Janice and I got invited to with him and his wife in downtown Vancouver. I think there was about 20 people there. And after the dinner, uh, he did a Q&A. And people were able to ask him some questions about how this all worked, what this looked like. And there were questions were going on. And I had, I had one was burning inside me. So I was waiting for him to finally, people to ask their questions to see if somebody might ask my question. Nobody did. And so I, I put up my hand and he goes, yeah. And I said, uh, so listen, uh, listen, this is great. This is awesome. But because um, here's my concern, right? Like, I, I, I'm coming to this position, honestly, as your pastor over the years, carefully, right? And so I, I looked at him and I said, um, have you ever had situations in the church where, like in Corinth, these gifts were kind of like out of hand? Well, I, I, I said out of hand, and his wife went, oh, yeah, <laughs> like this, right? And, and he just nodded, and he went. Uh, he gave us an example of speaking in tongues, which I will save for that message, but then he gave one about prophecy, which I just want to share with you, because I'm, I'm looking at it, like, how, how do you, like, how would you deal with this in the church if this was open in the church? He said, we, we one time we had a gathering, and a man by the name of John, he goes, that's not his real name, but I'm going to call him John, because well, his real name is John. That's the way he put it. It was funny. It was funny. We all laughed, okay? And, uh, but John wasn't there, so who cares, right? And, and John got up in the middle of a service, and he started calling out the elders. And he's quoting scripture, and he's saying that you guys aren't leading right, and you're not doing this right, and you're blah, 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 blah. And he just kept going on. And people were getting uncomfortable, right? This was getting really bad, and Terry's just standing on stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so he shares that, and he goes, and, and honestly, folks, this guy went on. And it was like he was calling out each one of us and, and pointing out each one of us where our weaknesses were, et cetera, et cetera. And so finally, he lost his breath, I think, and he sat down. And he said, I, I just had to pray. I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, help. <laughs> and he went to the microphone at the church, and he just looked out, and his opening words were, I just want to remind everyone here this morning, we love John. <laughs> okay, I thought that was really funny. Um, he explained further of how that actually worked out and how John grew in that through correction, but also 
Some of the elders felt convicted. It turned out well. Finally, I have a word of caution for any of you here today who desires the gift of prophecy, like Paul encourages you to desire. Be aware, be aware of this, that in a similar way to the Old Testament prophets, prophets, being a mouthpiece for the Lord, uh, for the word of the Lord, was often a dangerous calling, right? Calling people to be faithful to the church, to be who they are supposed to be, uh, to be committed to the mission of the church uh, can be hard on the prophet. In the Old Testament days, people frequently mocked, rejected, persecuted, and even killed God's prophets, right? Be careful what you wish for, but earnestly desire this gift. Jesus experienced this, and after preaching prophetically in his hometown, remember that? In the synagogue there when he preached and he, he said to them, yes, this, this reading of Isaiah has been fulfilled in your presence. I am the Messiah. What did they want to do with him? They wanted to kill him. He escaped, but then he also said this, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household or family. So be careful. It's a little bit like a a coach. This is how it can work out of a hockey team or any team for that matter, right? I mean, uh, you're, you're... after maybe many, many years of you hearing this coach calling the team and its players to the same game plan, to the same style of game, to the same mission, correcting them when they're wrong, drill after drill, well, after a while, it's possible that you can begin to tune the coach, the prophet, out. Ever experienced that? Ever known anybody that was like that? who you may have begun to tune out. Friends, let me just say this in in, in closing. Those gifted by Christ with the apostolic and the prophetic gift lay a very important foundation for every church. They are needed today, at least for a time and a season, to lay that foundation and to keep us focused on Christ, on the mission of his church, in this age and until he comes again. Pray with me, would you?